0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. This week, Darwinian philosopher Helena Cronin discusses a 21st century taboo, the men and women evolved differently with different preferences and skills. I
1: tell you first about a funny thing happened on the way to a better world, in pursuit of a really admirable quest—that's a world free of sex discrimination, where you're judged on your own qualities, not on your sex. Truth and falsity went topsy-turvy. The truth—that is, the science, the science of sex differences—became dangerous, unmentionable heresy, and in its place. A ragbag of home-crocheted, home-knitted creeds, no science at all, what I've called the conventional wisdom, became received orthodoxy. So my aim today with you is to turn that thinking the right way up, to turn heresy into orthodoxy and vice versa, and to show you why, if you really do care about a fairer world, the right way up matters and it matters profoundly. Okay, well, let's start with some stereotypes. I've made a list here. First of all, boys prefer trucks and girls prefer dolls. That's a very old standard stereotype. These are stereotypes that assume, of course, that the sexes are naturally different. And girls even prefer pink and blue for boys. Men are more geeky. They're naturally better at maths, engineering, computing, mechanics. If women are into science at all, then they prefer biology. And actually, women are keener than men are on um, social sciences and humanities. Women, typical stereotype, women aren't good at parking cars, reading maps, or bowling properly over arm. Men notoriously find any arena to be first, the most, the biggest, and the best. And they might do it by cycling backwards while playing the violin, which is one world record um, that men are going for, the sexes, according to the conventional wisdom, the sexes aren't naturally different at all. It's all social construct. And worse, society systematically discriminates against women. And according to conventional wisdom... The evidence is all around us. I mean, look at these tools of oppression. This kind of sex segregation of toys actually pushes boys and girls into different interests and abilities. It gets them from the first, thinking along different lines and having different abilities and skills. So these really innocent, apparently innocent-looking objects actually wreak havoc on entire careers and lives. And then there's school. Nowadays, girls do better than boys at school. Even in the typically male subjects, like maths and, and science, girls do better. So why do they start to fall behind as they go up the educational ladder beyond school? Well, it's thanks to society's stereotypical expectations. They lose confidence. And then there's the pay gap, which is manifest discrimination. For every one pound that a man makes, it's 75 pence for a woman. That's a 25% pay gap, which is shocking. And lastly, who's at the top? Well, notoriously, it's men who they walk off with all the highest positions and prizes, whether it's influence or whether it's out income, whether it's heads of state or CEOs. So, isn't that conventional wisdom obviously true? And isn't the evidence compelling? And By contrast, aren't the stereotypes manifestly gross and false? Well, no, actually, on the contrary, they're not. The conventional wisdom is actually nonsense. Those stereotypes that I just read out instead, they are true. And to show you that, I'll use just two simple tools. The first is the science of sex differences, and the second is the real science of stereotypes, not what everybody believes stereotypically about stereotypes, but the truth about stereotypes. But before we begin, just two points I really do want to try to establish. The first is that we won't be comparing individuals, we're comparing averages, we're comparing two groups, not any two individuals that you pick out, two groups. We're looking at how characteristics are distributed differently across those two groups. So I'll just give you one example, height. Men are, as we all know, on average taller than women. That's a true stereotype. Um, but not every single man, of course, is taller than every single woman. And some women are taller than most men. It's the group distributions that matter. So, actually, if you think about it, when height matters, basketball team or whatever, we'll end up with more men when height matters. But that's not evidence of discrimination against women in itself. There might have been it discrimination against women, but it's not evidence of it. Second, I'm emphatically not denying that discrimination exists. I'm going to be talking about discrimination. I'm most emphatically not denying that it exists. Rather, I'm claiming that it can't be the whole story, nor indeed can it be the main story. I hope to persuade you of that. Okay. On to the science of sex differences then, which is what I work on. Let's come back to these two iconic stereotypes. There's an interesting experiment, there have been a few of them now, in which these very toys were given to mixed sex groups. And I'm sure you're all guessing which sex preferred which, and I'm sure you're guessing correctly, but these males and females were vervet monkeys, and they responded in the stereotypical way. Now, Vivette monkeys hadn't seen these toys before, they hadn't been seen advertisements on television, they hadn't been brainwashed, copied other vervettes and so on. Similarly, newborn babies who also haven't had that sort of brainwashing, even at one day old, 24 hours old, girls prefer to look at a human face, and boys prefer to look at a mechanical mobile. There's a distinct difference even at that age, 24 hours. Well. Differences like that just can't be mere socialisation, which is what the claim is from the conventional wisdom. And They can't be recent and they can't be arbitrary. They're manifested too early in life and too systematically across all species. I'm talking only about our species, but all sexually reproducing species are the same, producing these kinds of differences, not the same ones, but those kinds of differences. They are, of course, the result of evolution, those differences. So let me explain why they evolved. If you reproduce sexually, you must divide your reproductive investment between first, competing for mates, and second, caring for offspring. So you've got to divide up your reproductive investment. From the very dawn of sexual reproduction, which, as I mentioned to you, was 800 million years ago, so it's been going for quite a while, one sex specialised slightly more in competing and the other slightly more in caring. And that was a very, very slight initial difference, but it had momentous effects because it proliferated down evolutionary time, giving rise in all sexually reproducing species, not just ours, all sexually reproducing species, to the very characteristic male and female differences of today. Males always specialising more in competing and females more in caring. I'm not saying one does all of one and one does all of the other. It's just that difference between them. And it's always tipped in that, in that way. So let's come on to our species and see what it looks like there. We'll look at some innate differences between men and women that I've called the four T's because it's just an easy way to do. Talents, tastes, temperaments and tales. Tales? Tales. I'll I'll explain tales. Talents. Men more mathematical, more technically minded. Women more verbal. Now, these are not false stereotypes. These are actually what we know scientifically is the case. Tastes. Men are more interested in things. Women more interested in people. That doesn't mean men aren't interested in people and women aren't interested in things. Again, I'm just talking about the difference between the two groups. Temperaments. Men are just vastly more competitive. They're the competitors, remember. And therefore, they're more ambitious, status-seeking, risk-taking, single-minded, and so on and so on. They're very, very much more competitive. It's been said that compared to women, men's entire life strategy is a higher-risk, higher-stakes game. Men are in permanent competition. And that, really, that quote really sums it up. Tails are. But by that I mean the tails of these statistical distributions, that is, the curves. Among males, the variance, that's the difference between the best and the worst, um, the most and the least. The the variance is greater than among females. So males are more like spread out. Females tend to cluster around the average much more. But among males, the variance can be vast. So males are almost bound to be Overrepresented, both at the bottom and at the top. Um, that's a phenomenon that I have called, I think of metaphorically as more dumbbells but more Nobels. That typifies men. The more dumbbells but more Nobels absolutely typifies men. I'll just give you two quick examples, there are some astonishing examples, but I'll give you two, one of which I just found myself recently and staggered me, and then I noticed the scientist who had written it said this is a staggering ratio. The first example is opposite sex twins. If you only look at the average IQ of twins of the opposite sex, so they're not identical twins, they're like, more like brother and sister. The IQ of the boys is only very slightly higher than that of the girls. If you look at averages, the differences are often very, very small. So that IQ is only slightly higher. But go to the top 2% of IQs and look there. The boys outnumber the girls 2 to 1. Similarly, for ability mechanical reasoning, this is what that scientist called a staggering male-female ratio of 236 to 1. So there, the males really are just, have just outstripped the females completely. Now, the fact of greater male variance is viewed as the very worst of heresies. It's one of those issues, touch it and you die, what Americans call third rail, touch it and you die issues. But the truth is that greater male variance actually profoundly influences male-female differences, particularly those that most enrage the conventional wisdom, that is, the predominance of males at what we can call the Nobel's end, that really most enrages the conventional wisdom. Can't have it, it must be bias and barriers, it can't be true. No, it is true. Males predominate at that Nobel's end. Now, some truth about stereotypes. We all have Views, we all know what stereotypes do and we all know how bad they are. Well, no, no, and no. There's now been some decent science looking at stereotypes, looking at the social psychology that has generated this literature, and it turns out that a great deal of what people think of stereotypes is not true. Conventional wisdom, first of all, claims that stereotypes are false and exaggerated. It turns out that actually they're largely true the male-female stereotypes largely but when they're inaccurate it's usually because people underestimate sex differences that is they think the sexes are more alike rather than exaggerating sex differences so they think males are less geeky than they are as it were and females more mathematical they, they think they're closer Conventional wisdom also claims that if you hold a stereotype, it biases your entire view of the individuals whom you've stereotyped. So for example, oh, everything she does is typically female because you have stereotypes about females. But it turns out that it doesn't actually. The biases tend to be what one social psychologist who has looked into this has called small, fragile, and fleeting. And he points out, he's looked at this very carefully, it's one of the smallest effects in the whole of social psychology, this effect of biasing you against the people you're stereotyping. What's more, far from relying on stereotypical information, relying on it, people seize on information about the individual that isn't stereotypical. And that reduces and often even completely eliminates the stereotypes. And again, as the social psychologist has pointed out, this is one of the largest effects in all of social psychology. That is, your ability to look at an individual and take that individuating information and undermine the stereotype is one of the largest effects in all of social psychology. And finally, according to conventional wisdom, stereotypes generate self-fulfilling prophecies. Some of you might have heard about the notion of stereotype threat, which is, as soon as you hear of a stereotype applied to you, you become that stereotype. Tell the class that the girls can't do maths and they'll believe it and they won't be able to, is the usual idea. But it turns out that this ogre of self-fulfilling prophecies, which is the one that's really stalked the social sciences for decades in the literature about stereotypes, is mostly myth. The effects are at most very weak and very transient, and they certainly don't, as is routinely claimed, keep women back from all the things that women ought to be getting and have a right to get. If women are kept back from that, it's for other reasons. But then there's all those notorious stereotype experiments. Um, I don't know if you know about the ones where there are identical CVs that are sent out and one purportedly comes from John and another purportedly comes from Jane. They're actually identical. And John's evokes more favorable responses than Jane's. Well, first of all, just think what you said about individuating information once you know about an individual. The very nature of such experiments doesn't allow for individuating information, they've got to be bland and unisex, obviously. So in real life, that's very crucial and that's what will really be used. These, in these lab experiments, they don't use the things that would really get used in real life. Uh, one example that I read, in over a hundred experiments to do with assessing written work, which was actually, again, all identical work but different names on the top, 98% of cases were free of any sex bias. And I suppose what we hear about is the 2%, um, and that's what influences people. However, social, social psychology isn't my area. I from an evolutionary background, and there are lots of evolutionary considerations as to why the conventional wisdom about stereotyping is highly unlikely to be true. But I'm just going to give you two, um, two that particularly bug me, that people don't think about it this way. Why do the identical male-female stereotypes occur universally across cultures? If they reflect mere cultural whims, it's very unlikely there would be such convergence in different cultures of having the same stereotypes of men and women. But if they reflect evolutionary truths about men and women, it's very likely, to be, it's very much to be expected that the te- stereotypes would be the same. The second point that conventional wisdom holds is that females and males actually are deeply influenced by stereotyping, that self-fulfilling prophecy idea. Anyone who understands the first thing about how natural selection works would be very suspicious of this, because natural selection doesn't build us just to be putty in others' hands. Anyone, anyone at all who in our evolutionary past could be so readily manipulated by all and sundry about how to be successfully female or successfully male, they just wouldn't have become our ancestor. It doesn't work like that. Natural selection wouldn't build those sort of people. So, armed with the scientific knowledge about sex differences which I've just talked about and the science of stereotypes, let's return to those two lists that we began with, the stereotypes list and the conventional wisdoms list. I'm just going to take a few examples and pick out just a few of the many possible lessons we can learn from each of those examples. Lots of lessons to learn, but I'm just going to pick out a few things for you. First of all, that pay gap. Yes? That's what I said is true, but science graduates earn far more than arts graduates, full-timers earn more than part-timers, the more hours you invest at work, the more you get paid. It's all true whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. Allowing for those three points, the pay gap shrinks dramatically from 25% to, can anyone guess? One, one percent, exactly, one to two, yeah, it's not so exact. Good, two percent, exactly, that's right. Now, on average, men and women make different choices on those three points. Choices that reflect their different evolved dispositions and life priorities. For example, going into the humanities rather than the sciences, preferring to work part-time. So the so-called pay gap isn't discrimination against women, And actually, neither is it a gap, because it doesn't compare like with like. It doesn't compare the same work. Second, more men than women in the physical sciences, as I said at the beginning, stereotype. And, um, oh, that stereotype about women not being able to park, do map reading, um, bowling over arm. Okay, how are these going to fit together? Well, of all the innate sex differences in talents, remember the four T's, talents, the largest by far, and this favors males, is an intuitive ability to imagine what an object would look like if rotated in space. So it's m- you're mentally rotating objects in space, and you can imagine what would they would look like. This, of all things, is what gives males their huge advantage in maths and the hard sciences. That's not why, obviously, why natural selection endowed them with it. It was for completely different reasons, like throwing um, nasty things at um, animals that they were hunting and at other males, particularly, um, which women didn't do either, either of those, and also navigating a lot more, which, again, women didn't navigate over such large spaces. That's why there's that sh- robust male-female difference. Um, it's so robustly different and it's so important to um, understanding, to, to doing maths and the hard sciences, so much so that childhood ability, childhood ability in three-dimensional mental rotation is highly predictive of later success in these areas, mathematics. Now, if you take those differences and then add tests, what we talked about another of the T's, women, even the mathematical high flyers, even the women who are going there into the stratosphere with males on mathematics, prefer working with living things. They very often go into biology and medicine instead of staying in mathematics, even though they're doing incredibly well in mathematics. So just taking those few differences alone, talents and tastes, women's choices in sciences are highly predictable. That's why women in biology, but the other sciences, after that it goes over into the social sciences. As for females, parking, map reading, and bowling. Don't throw things at me. <laughs> it's, it's a science what does it. Well, you've probably guessed the connection. They all rely on three-dimensional mental rotation, and that's the reason that women aren't so good at doing those things. On average, we're talking about averages. Finally, to policy. Conventional wisdom fatally confuses equality and sameness. There was... Uh, conference on women in science which went under the banner of taking action for equality ability is sexless well as we've seen that's false ability is far from sexless but much more crucially and this is very important it's irrelevant ability doesn't need to be sexless for individual women and men be treated fairly and not to be discriminated against on grounds of sex. That's why I said we're talking about averages. If you're talking about who should get a job, who shouldn't, then that's a different matter. You sh- it shouldn't, we shouldn't need to be the same, the sexes shouldn't need to be the same for any individual, individual to be treated fairly. By denying the differences, the conventional wisdom precludes right at the outset any scientifically informed attempts to understand the very sex differences that are supposedly its concern. Fairness must be pursued not by denying differences, but by understanding it and understanding its consequences. So it's not sex differences, but sexism that should be challenged. And it's not science, it's injustice that should be opposed. and. Finally, if you're forming policy... Look, I'm not saying that that science dictates goals. Of course it doesn't. Science doesn't, shouldn't dictate goals. But it can help us to achieve our goals. How? Because if we want to change the world, first we need to understand it. And how can we forge a fairer world if we lack a proper understanding of how the sexes differ? We can't. So when it comes to policy, I'd say... The Darwinian science of human nature, male and female, far from being heresy, is indispensable.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So, do women innately prefer pink? Let us know by tweeting at II underscore TV with the hashtag philosophy for our Times.